I appreciate that. Yeah. I didn't want to cry. Uh, <laughs> no, this is good for the show. This is good, this is good footage, guys, okay? I, I can see the thumbnails from now. <laughs> There's a podcast called Between Two Slabs. They consume mass media. It seems so sad. It's the great curator and Merlin. They can't grow pubes, so they gotta wear a Merkin. They got no money, so I guess they gotta share. Just two nerds wishing they could grow body hair. Comics, cards, and toys, nothing that would interest you. It's the podcast that nobody listens to. All right, guys, we are here with Ralph, the Prism God, the host of Culture Collision. We're having lunch with him today before the start of the big show. Yes. Culture Collision. Day one, how you feeling? I'm okay. I mean, honestly, I don't really get stressed anymore. It's more so just like people just kind of like exhaust their their stress on you. But like, I'm cool. This is this is Culture Collision 4. Yes. Okay, so compare compare your mindset now. To Portrait Collision One. Uh, so the first show we did in 90 days. I don't recommend doing a show in 90 days ever. Typically, most people do a show in six months to a year because a lot of preparation goes into it. I did a show, the first show, in 90 days, and it was a really successful show, big show, and we competed versus Dallas, which was an amazing thing to do. I did at least one show to two shows a weekend for 90 days, and then I went to every card shop in the Georgia. North Carolina, South Carolina region, even including Florida, for the first nine days. I probably exhausted myself. I was dead tired by the time Coach Wilson happens. Did you have a team working with you? No, it was just, well, I did. We were probably a team of three people, my wife, Charlie, and myself. And everybody else just kind of like came in the last minute and kind of helped. But it's, it's kind of similar to that right now. But my wife actually, she... Man, she's been killing it lately. This show, Coach Legend 4, which is why it's a lot of stress. And also, we hired an event coordinator to show, too. Um, so, we have Daria, our event coordinator, and then my wife, uh, Joyce, uh, which is Prison Goddess. She's been amazing this show. You know, that's why I'm even able to do this now. Hey, I text, hey, I'll be on here for a second, and then they're upstairs holding it down, and I'll come up there in the middle of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> you got people to handle everything now, right? Of course, of course. Yeah. And all of my family's also here, too. My biggest support is family. I've known you for a couple of years now. I've seen you at all the shows as a vendor. Mm-hmm. And then I've been just kind of like paying attention from afar of you starting this culture collision show. We went to culture collision, I think maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Mm-hmm. I think it was culture collision too that we went to. That's correct. The first one with eBay. Yes. And then, um, you know, I've been watching this show grow mm-hmm. steadily over the years. And, and I keep hearing about all these big things that you've been doing and all those moves that you're making. I'm like, wait a second, is this guy still a vendor? Mm-hmm. You know? And so, like, is this your full time gig in the hobby, being a show promoter? Mm-hmm. So you transitioned from being a vendor yeah. to show promoters. I love being a vendor, which is why I care so much about the vending aspect of the, the show sport portion. Uh, the show promotion is more so just like my create. I get a chance to kind of be creative and do it my way. So like when I go to my favorite shows, I'm like, oh, I like this idea, but I like this idea as well. I just got to get a chance to kind of do my own thing. So I think culturalism, honestly, is just a, I've said this before, is it's, it's kind of like a reflection of things that I like. That I'm into pop culture, culture, music. I love basketball. You know, I love sports. It's like I love, you know, all types of sports. I mean, unfortunately, we haven't figured out the other aspect to bring other ideas to sports, but we're working on it, right? I love being a show promoter as well, but I don't say I feel like I'm being a vendor more than being a show promoter is less stress. <laughs> but it's okay. And Culture with Collision is different from the other shows in the country because you incorporate things more than just cards. Mm-hmm. Right? That like if cards are not the main focus, mm-hmm. like Herbank Card Show, for example, mm-hmm. is all far. 
you do other stuff like uh, sneakers, other comics, and toys, and yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, well, what's what's the the inspiration behind that? Because like, there's your carbon, mm-hmm. but do you collect these other things too? Absolutely. I mean, growing, of course, growing up, I, I played with almost every toy that you can probably imagine. You know, He Man, all those other things, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's just you know older stuff. But as a man too, like, I got to the point when I was in high school, like, I love sneakers. So sneakers is like the first affordable collective move that I can like understand. You know, I think that that's the one thing that resonated with me with bringing the, the, the reason why I feel like we need to bring sneaker vendors in here. A, we bring in new collectors. B, we bring in something that more people outside of our space. Because, yeah, we understand basketball and sports and stuff like that in the collective aspect. But we don't understand sneakers in the collective aspect. You can always see this guy with this dope pair of sneakers on. Like, hey, where did you get those from? Oh, man, they were hard to get. I had to get them from such and such. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, like, we had to get them from, I had to wait in line for 12 hours to get these sneakers. And some people actually do that. And so, like, there's a, there's a story to tell about sneakers as well, just as much as there's a story about sports cars. So, I think that's it's an interesting conversation that you can have. I remember when the uh, the, the most, the craziest pair of shoes that came out that really changed the industry of, of sneakers was the, uh, the Galaxy Foams. People were camping out for weeks. Those sneakers were selling for like, 2000 2500 which was expensive for a resale. You buy them for 200 bucks, you sell them for 20 bucks. Oh, really? You're making 10x. So that was when the sneaker market kind of started to kind of like change a little bit, like, oh man. And then it became, let, not, not, let me not get in line for myself. Let me get me, my wife, my kids, everybody to get in line. We're going to hang out for a week and think about this. I have five people with me and I'm buying, I'm spending $1,000. And I'm buying five pairs of sneakers. I'm saving a thousand dollars in service for ten thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. It right? is to the average household. So that's just one aspect. You know that market's changed since then, and then now. You know I think it's important to educate these guys and bring them into a different collectible space, and then vice versa, and have a conversation about why sneakers can't be considered collectible because there's a story to tell. Even when Jordan laced up his first pair of shoes and he wore the uh, the colors that were not that were not that he wasn't supposed to wear when he had the Bulls uniform because the league bought oh, yeah. And you had to wear certain colors to match the shoes. There was a story to tell. That's why the Van Jordan was such a big deal. There's just a lot to say. And then the toy market, I like pop culture toys more than just like the older toys. So when I say I think about that, I think, uh, I don't know, Josh Super had his Ghost Rider toy he just came out with. Hugh Blue Brantley's another uh, uh, toy, uh, toy creator and artist. And then Calls is a really popular brand. Kid Robot's another uh, popular brand as well over in China. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of different things. I don't know. I'm just kind of a little bit of eclectic of, of everything. Did you, did you come out with your own Clifford Collision? Sure. Okay. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. I saw that, right? The vinyl. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we have our first vinyl of this show. It's called Kid Culture. We started really pushing that brand this show. For sale or is that a It's mostly for sale. We don't have a limited amount. I kept one for myself. So there's only 24 available. <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's only 24 available. We're selling this show. Oh, wow. Um, man, it's a really cool, it was a cool project that I took on. Just like this. It's, that was more of a personal project for me. Are these going to be at your own table or what? Um, they're actually upstairs available right now. We only, like, we only have like 24 available. We did uh, a special colorway, which is the Georgia peach color. Looks like it's why it's like an orange color uh, to represent Atlanta, uh, which I thought was really cool. That's going to sell out for sure. It's interesting you say that because I've always tried to like solve this problem. I think there's a disconnect between collectors. Every, every collectible market, comics, toys, cards, features, whatever, right? They're very tribal in terms of like they love to collect that, that specific niche item. Mm-hmm. Although what they don't realize is that that niche item is part of a 
and larger IP. Mm-hmm. And like you, like people who collect Jordan sneakers, they probably don't have Jordan cards, right? Correct. Absolutely. You know, like how can you have a Jordan Air One and not have the '86 Flare next to it, right? But they don't see cards as a legitimate collectible, exactly, as they do with sneakers. So I've always tried to find out what is that disconnect, and how do we get people to recognize cards not just as cards, but as a form of collectible of whatever IP that they love. I agree. I, honestly, I think that's more of a conversation I've been really trying to focus on, even with Coach Williams. So we have panels this weekend where we're actually going to discuss sneakers and why it's important. I'm, a, I'm actually going to be a part of that panel. So hopefully you guys get a chance to see that. We're all kind of talking a little bit more about why I think sneakers should be considered collectibles and why. And it's, again, it's really more so just geared along the side of a sneakers have a story to tell as well. And then vice versa. While you have those sneakers, you don't have a Jordan Flair 86 Flair. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you can have a pair of off-white Jordan 1, you know what those sell for? No. All right. You you know what they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The off-white, Je- just, I'm sorry, the off-white Jordan 1 was a collaboration between Jordan and off-white, which is Virgil's brain, right? That was a part of the official the official 10, the, the, the official 10 collaboration that he did. Those shoes currently resell for the upper five to six thousand dollars. Whoa! That's, and what was the retail? Retail is uh, about two hundred bucks. That's it. Yeah. Ow. I used to I used to want these shoes. So here you go. In size twelve, I could buy a pair oh, now yeah. for fifty six seventy eight. Last pair sold for fifty six hundred. So fifty six hundred. I could sell a pair now for forty two hundred or five k. So basically, around five grand is what they cost. But you could have bought for two hundred dollars and sell for five grand. But a Jordan rookie is probably, a PSA 1 is probably half the price of that. But those people were walking around with these shoes on their feet, right? Oh, my God. Right. So they, they, they would rather. And you'll see them at the show. They would rather spend the money on the shoes than mm-hmm. the card, right? Because they don't recognize the card as a legitimate form of collection. Now, will there be someone at the show selling those? Potentially. Tomorrow, I'm wearing a pair of uh, limited shoes. Um, not really limited, but proper. My Yeezy 2s. I bought used. I bought a used pair back in the day. I used to own these shoes back when I really couldn't afford to like fold shoes because it got to the point to where I wanted to bootstrap my company. So I went immediately and was like, let me just sell all my sneakers. Since my success in you know the collectible space, so I've been able to buy back a lot of the shoes I used to own. You know, as a child, like how oh, I used to own that, I can buy. I can afford to buy it now. So let me go ahead and buy it now. So I went back and I started buying some of the stuff that I used to own when I did, you know, when I couldn't really afford to keep it. Now that I can afford to keep it, I'm like, I miss this stuff. You know, I do miss these things. And the Yeezy 2s are one of my favorite shoes that never came out for the collaboration between Kanye and, and Nike. Very popular shoe. He's happy to own it again. But I remember selling it back in the day for like $2,200. And I think I was able to get a pair used for $2,400. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so this show is really just to kind of bring together, maybe not the specific goal, but to bring together the different community mm-hmm. and to kind of share knowledge, mm-hmm. share collecting passions, yes. things like that, right? And maybe maybe you introduce a sneaker collector to cards. 100%. And, and vice versa, right? And mm-hmm. start them down that rabbit hole. 100%. I think it's very important to do those things to have those conversations, but the conversation that needs to be had is it needs to, and I think people have to be open to, all right, so you sell a car for 5000 maybe go to a sneaker vendor and send 200 bucks for a pair of sneakers you like. Mm-hmm. Have a conversation. You know, maybe you spend 1000 on sneakers because maybe you buy a pair for you, your wife, your kids, right? You might spend $1,000. Maybe he takes that $1,000 and he says, you know what? I'm going to buy a car. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'll buy a collectible. I'll buy a toy. Or a memorabilia. Well, he might say, you know what? I have those off-white Jordans. Maybe I do need to buy me a, a PSA 1 
there's a Jordan rookie for maybe fifteen hundred bucks at two thousand dollars, right? Hey, God, or you might say to you, yeah, all these Jordans that are worth like five grand, and you know somebody bought like six, seven thousand dollars for inventory. What do you think the current investment for me to buy? Oh, well, you own those Jordans, then you should buy Jordan rookie cards. Pretty stable, you know. It's not a bad investment, that's per se. You know, I mean, you can put our money in worse things. So I think it's a great conversation to have. I'm, I'm really interested in the like the entrepreneurial aspect of what you did here, basically starting the show. Did you like see? Did you? You said you started it from you wanted to bring these communities together, or did you just see that there was opportunity for a show in Atlanta, a big show in and in this this part of the country? Well, I felt like it was both. Again, I always say that reference this situation where my wife basically told me I had to open up a card shop for a show. That really happened. <laughs> yeah, my wife was like, you either gonna open up a shop or you're gonna do a show. And I thought the show, the show was easier. That's why I was like, okay, I'm gonna do your show in 90 days. But now I realize it's definitely not easier. Mm-hmm. It's just and then the thing is though, what I've learned too is even if you do one show a year, people are gonna ask you about that one show a year all year. So at that point, I started thinking, like, if I'm doing that, I might as well just do the show of the year, which is why we're doing the second show in September. Good. And we're doing four shows next year. Wow. So it'll be January next year, March next year, September, and it might be a late, later date. So I have to figure out, I can't remember the four days, but they're pretty much locked. So this will be your first year doing two shows in one year. Yeah. And next year, you're going to move it to four shows. That's correct. Year. That's correct. Wow. I have this conversation with Merle all the time about we love going to Dallas first. Mm-hmm. Right. But the Dallas car show six times a year. And then it starts to kind of wane on you, you know, towards the like the, the four, fifth, and sixth shows. Yeah, those last in the year. Stuff waning on you. Do you feel like there's enough command in the hobby and specifically in the Georgia, Atlanta area to support your show where it's strong and people go there, like the vendors go there and they find success and, and their attendees go there and they, they get the value and experience that they're looking for? Do you feel like you can support or your community here can support that? That's something I've always kind of wondered about. I don't know if there's like an easy answer to that because, of course, we're doing a second show in September. I think we'll be fine. But the challenge will be four shows in a year and how we figure those things out. But the one thing, if you know about me, the one thing I'm always doing is always trying to push the hobby forward. I always try to come up with new ideas as we continue to bring in those different sponsors and bring in new ideas, right? I'm going to implement different things, right? We have charity basketball. So with us doing that, that'll be something we do at our first show of the year. We're not doing that for the Rebel Show. We'll come up with some other, I'm working on an actual idea for September, so it'll make it different. So I'm working on some different ideas that's going to separate the shows. How, where you're going to be like, oh, man, he's doing this, this show? I got to come to see this. So the one thing I've always focused on is trying to make our show to be more of a thing. I wanted to feel like something. Like you, we talked the first talk about the, the charity basketball game or the card star game, which you were mentioned. You know, yo, you won that spot, and so you know. For the record, he won. They, they've been he trying to, they've been trying to get me to come play. out of retirement, man. He won to play basketball. I don't, he won. He, he was actually voted by the people to play. I, I don't want uh, Santiago to throw balls at me because he gets mad. He's like handshaking. Oh, no, man, look. I saw that beef under and I said, I don't want it in. I'm always forward thinking. Like, the cool thing about Coach Grizzly that people really don't know is we're only phase two of Coach Grizzly. I have not hit phase three or phase four yet. And honestly, the cool thing about that is everything at what it is now. Mm-hmm. I've always believed that Coach Grizzly is not just a show, which is why I took off Trade Show. It's a, a brand, it's a lifestyle brand. It was Coach Grizzly Trade Show when we, first, when we first brought it to market. But then I dropped it because I felt like people needed to know that it was just more than just a show. 
It's a lifestyle. It's you know what I'm saying. It's a brand. It's like you see people wear t- you see people wear Coach Christian t-shirts mm-hmm. everywhere. Yep. And that's because we pushed it as that, and that's been something I've always tried to focus on, and I'll continue to focus on. And then you'll see me add new elements <laughs> that you'll see in September. You'll see new elements coming in 2025, and you'll be like, oh. I want to see what he's doing this show. I think that as long as I keep pushing those ideas from envelopes and people start jumping in saying, I want to be a part of what he's doing, I'll be able to you know, deliver those things. Are you trying to build the lobby community here in Atlanta? When I first moved here, there was only two shops that were active, two main shops. Since then, I'm in the hobby. For the, yeah, probably 10 shops now, last four years. Mm-hmm. That's big growth for us. There's Dave's, uh, Dave's Sports Fire Shop, uh, Breaking Bangers. There's a few other shops that are out there that are new. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that that far from fortune, man. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, we think that's gonna happen. It comes to firing. Oh yeah. Okay. Trust me. Yeah. I know it's it's always coming, but it's all good. Well, let me. Okay, let's let's wrap this up because we know his time is valuable, and yeah. uh, and I'm more more thankful. Thing, thing, people are, are are calling him like crazy. So I have one question that I've been I've been wanted to ask you for a while. Okay. Sure. But let's talk about diversity in hockey. Okay? Yeah. Doctor Collecto Daryl always talks about it. Uh, do you see yourself? I see you and your crew at all these. All these events, Wiz and Mike, and everybody that you, you travel with. Do you see yourself as like now that you have this huge footprint in the hobby, the promoter of the legend? Yeah, you're a, a well-respected vendor. Are you? Do you see yourself as like maybe have to bring the role or responsibility as a leader for your community to grow that? Yeah, unfortunately, I will say yes. I felt like uh, it wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anything is really intentional. You know, you just, it is what it is, right? My friend used to always call me the Jackie Robinson of the card space. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I, I'll, tell like, you, I'll tell you why I asked you that. Because, you know, for me, like, I, I feel like I represent the Asian community to a certain extent. And a lot of people reach out to me, give me positive feedback and yeah. appreciate the things that I do. So I know that it's probably happening to you, too. And Absolutely. I just wonder what you're mindset is about that. Do you accept that role and are you proud of it or are you reluctant to take on that responsibility? Man, I hate the politics of, you know, I, but I'm not ignorant either. I do, uh, I definitely think that diversity is still, is, is very much lacking in this space. I'm not ignorant for that. And so, yes, I do take on the role of being like, I guess you could say, I'm not going to say necessarily like a spokesperson, but I try to hold myself accountable for a lot of different things that are going on. I don't try to like play sides, but at the same time, again, I'm not ignorant of what's going on. I think it was a comment I think Dr. Cuckwood said that saying that uh, the hobby is diverse or something like that. And I, and I ain't going to lie to you, I kind of was thinking to myself like, that's not right. I, I disagree with the fact that because I've, I've been going to shows for years and I can still count on one hand most of the time how many Black people are in the room. And I'm sure you can probably say the same thing for your community as well, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important. But I think that that's what culture religion really is, though, right? It's how do we introduce new people who've never, been, who've never had the privilege of growing up mm-hmm. in a household where maybe their father was a collector. You know, maybe their father's there, their father was a collector, or even understand the collective space, right? Because most people can't, when I say girls, I have to be able to afford to hold on to these items. At some point in time, here, the father of a household, if you, it'd be kind of irresponsible for you to have $20,000 full of collectibles and, you know, your household is struggling. So I think it's irresponsible. So a lot of people don't get the benefit of growing up in a household and be able to understand the collectible space or even go to a car show. I mean, I didn't go to my first car show until I was in high school. And that was when I met my best friend, Jesse, who got me back into this space. And if it wasn't for people like him, it wasn't for my mom taking me to my first car show, 
I would have never been exposed to the concerts. Even now, when you think about the community I'm, I live in in Chicago, the closest car shop was probably an hour away from my house. Dang. So we're talking about me as growing up. There's no car show. There's no car shops on the west side of Chicago. I'm going to tell you the car shop I used to go to. At uh, Carson Perry Scott's downtown, they used to have a car shop inside Carson Perry Scott's. They were on the top floor. But I do feel a sense of having to kind of like step it up a little bit and also be a little bit more vocal too. Yeah. I try not to yeah. be too organically. I'm not really big into politics because I feel like, you know, I'm able to kind of weather any storm. But at the same time, though, I'm not ignorant and I do see things that are going on. And I have been treated certain type of way. What's funny is if you go back to my original prison guide page, and I'm used to talking with this all the time. The original prison guide page, I never posted a picture of myself. I literally strategically did that on purpose. I didn't want nobody to know who it was. Gotcha. Yeah. And nobody, you know, I didn't want people to think, okay, because it wasn't about who it was. It was about the cool car. It was about having nice stuff. If I if I wasn't vocal, I'm like, okay, people just like my stuff is kind of nice, right? And then the minute that I posted a picture of myself, I literally had messages like, I didn't know you were black. It doesn't matter in a good way or a bad way. You can take it how you want, but yeah. I mean, it was it was, but it went both ways. Yeah, exactly. I got black people never hit me up. The good black. Oh man, I'm glad you are because I. But you know what though? Well, if you say so, another black man, yeah, black woman, exactly. or another minority, I can understand. But that's what the cool thing about but, that but, is. It's gonna be kind of awkward if a guy like me asks you that, like, what the hell. But I've been, but you know what though? I, I was also. Ask that vibe. That's why it's interesting when you say that, and that's why I'm thinking about like all these situations I've been in. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we'll have to have a part two conversation. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah we, we know. Get more in detail. No, you need to get up. Merlin, Merlin has something for you. Yeah. We're so happy that you're part of our community. Of course. And we're so privileged to be part of your community yeah. out here in the southeast, Atlanta. I also thank you for co-hosting when Dan was away, yeah. and hope you can do that in the future with us again. Of and I just want to give you this as a thank you gift. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I want to see what it is. I see Michael Jackson. Oh, this is bad ass. So thank you so much. Man, you know what's crazy? <laughs> I'm about to post this on my table. Actually, my boy's watching my table for me. Yeah. I brought my Michael Jackson autograph and put this right next to it. Perfect. Thank, thank you so, so much, man. And I hope I you will um, be on our show in the dope. future as yeah. well. So we can talk more about you and your goals. Man, for this is dope. Yeah, I, man, I almost made me cry. This is dope. We do. Okay. I really feel like, you know, we. it seems like we're like a traveling circus. We see each other. I hope so. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, you're like a city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're really like a brotherhood. So I really appreciate, I'm, I'm super proud of what you grown this to be yeah i appreciate that i really appreciate everything that you do for the community the hobby and for us and you know thank you for your time today i appreciate it very much thank y'all for having me too man um we just say this on camera but i mean i will say this again we are filming like when i sit here and say like we are the hobby that was the first thing i put on my show banners if when the show you set up that with ebay Mm -hmm. i literally had we are the hobby and i kept thinking to myself like that's important for people to understand it's not the shows that are special it's the people that come to the shows that make the show special yeah, that's why I went so on the first show that I did. When I went to all those car shops and I worked, I bust my ass to go to all those car shops and pass out flyers. I hand passed out flyers. I went to every show and spoke to everybody. I realized more than anything that it wasn't about me. It was about the people that came out and was like, hey, man. And, and that made like, hang on a lot of you people don't realize. I have video footage of my first show and I was crying after the show because we went against doubts. And it's really hard when the best show in the country is competing versus you and you want to do well and you don't want to fail and you do everything you can do to, to succeed. 
And it was good for me, man. And I was really happy because I had a lot of support. I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Yeah. You did a great job. Appreciate that. We love you. We love you, That's why we flew all the way out here to be here. Yeah. I appreciate that. I didn't want to cry. (laughs) No, this is good for the show. This is good footage, guys. Okay? I can see the thumbnails from now. Look at the bubbles. This is good. No, I saw it. This is gonna be the Jordan meme. Uh, Jordan, 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 this is so much. We turn this off. Oh man. Okay, I mean, you gotta get back, guys. It seems so sad. It's the great curator and Merlin. 